Why do you view yourself? Think about it. We live in a world filled with pulls and pressures. The world, you know, if sometimes we say, well, I want to be rich, or I want to be famous, or I want to be smart, or I want to be handsome, I want to be beautiful, I want to be successful. How do we view ourselves? Because the world is pushing us in certain ways. And there's, there's two big ideas. Some people say this, you've got to know yourself, you've got to feel good about yourself, life's about us, I mean, it's about me, and it's about what I do. And then there's another view that says, no, 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 ignore yourself, live for others, the self's not important, actually overlook yourself. And, and by the way, both of those are really wrong because biblically there's a balance. There's a balance on how we look at ourselves. It's important to know how God made us, what our gifts, talents, and abilities are, those kind of things. So the Bible does say uh, look out for others and put others first, but at the same time it says know who you are and your gifts, talents, and abilities and use them for the glory of God. So this morning we're going to look at what I'm just saying, a biblical view of self-image. And it's pretty good. I think I think that uh, most of us, uh, especially when you're a teenager, you probably had a bad self-image. I mean, you wake up, there's like blazes all over your face, and you know you go, you know, and you go to school, and you know some people have you know, they're really pretty, and some people are really sharp, and then you don't think you are, and you don't measure up, and that that's how you feel. So many people have this unbiblical view of themselves, and the truth, a lot of people have poor self-image. When you start talking to people and you say, "What do you think?" A lot of people have a poor self-image. The world judges us really in three different ways. The world judges us physically. Like they'll say, who's the most handsome? Who's the best athlete? Who, who, is, who is the most beautiful? That's what they look for. And then materially, I mean, you got money, you got authority, you have possessions. That's, the world would say, look, I got this big house, I got this car, I got this possessions, I got this money, I got this authority. And then even intellectually, you say, well, I've got uh, two doctor degrees, I've got this, I've got that. And so people, uh, grades and credentials and, and all of these things. And so when you look at the world, they say, are you smart? Are you handsome? Do you have money? Do you have authority? That makes you important. Now, if you're not smart, or you don't have a lot of money, or you don't have an important job, as the world would call it, maybe you're not so special. And that's how the world looks at it. The problem is that when we begin to look around, and from a, a world idea of it, we begin to look at others. And when we do that, there are two problems. There's two traps. One is inferior. We feel inferior. You can always find somebody that's sharper, smarter, faster, better, uh, richer, you know, more hair. I mean, it's just one of those things, right? And you can always find somebody that is better than you are. So if you're going to look at somebody and compare yourself, you're going to a lot of times go, I'm not, you know, that's not fair. I mean, they got this, they got that, they got this. But then there's a second thing, which is a problem, and that's sometimes superior. You look at some other people and you go, I'm glad I'm not like them. You know, and they forget First Corinthians 4, 7 that says, what do you have that God didn't give you? Nothing. He gave you everything. And, you know, I always think of that Pharisee that, that Jesus told the story that we've already seen it on Sunday morning where the Pharisee and the tax collector go, go to the temple. And the Pharisee goes up there and he looks over at the tax collector and he says, thank you, Lord, I'm not like that guy. And, you know, I mean, that's... And that when you, you, when you look at other people and you compare, and of course Paul says that when you compare yourselves, you are foolish because either you're going to think you're inferior are you going to think you're superior? And the bottom line is we need to get our identity, our self-image, not from the world, but from the Word of God. So we're going to do four things. I think we can go through it pretty quickly so we can have time to get to our grow groups because uh, Brian went much longer than he told me he would go. But anyway, we're going to look at the two views of self from God's Word. I think this is vital. 
There are two views. And then we're going to see God's plan, because no matter how you view yourself, God said, listen, I have a way to save you. I'm, I'm going. And then, we ha- how do we see ourselves? And then our response to all that. So let's think about the two views of ourselves from the Word of God, and we need both. And here's what they are. A, Psalm 139, God made us, and he knows us. That's a view. That's a view from the Bible. Psalm 139, we're going to look at it in just a second. And then Romans 5, 12 says that every one of us are sinners, and we've fallen short of God's glory. So let's look at that. Let's start with Psalm 139. God made us, and he knows us. And Look at Psalm 139, and, and the first thing, we want, God knows us completely. I'm going to read this. We're not going to go into a lot of detail because we just want to have the time in our grow group. But listen to this, Psalm 139. Most of you have read this or studied it. Listen how it starts. He says, oh, Lord, you've searched me, and you know me. He, he knows you. you. You know when I sit down, you know when I get up. Think about that. If you said to God, what time am I going to get up? He said, I can tell you what time you're going to get up tomorrow, even though you don't even know what time you're going to get up. I know everything. Uh, you understand my thoughts from afar. No matter what you think, no matter how many times you've tried to tell somebody something and they don't understand it, God understands everything. He says, you scrutinize my path, my lying down, you're intimately acquainted with all my ways. You know everything about me. Even before there's a word on my tongue, even before I say something, you already know what I'm going to say. And and then uh, verse 5 basically says, he knows us completely. What you have enclosed behind before me, your hand is on me. Such knowledge is superior. It's beyond. So first of all, did you know God knows you completely? And this is what's amazing. He knows you completely. Now, nobody else knows you completely. You don't even know yourself completely. You don't. You think you know you, but there's things about each of us in our own minds and our own personality that we'd go, that's me? I didn't know I was going to do that. But he knows everything. And no matter who the closest person you could be, if you're married and your spouse, nobody knows you like God does. The second thing that's in this passage is he made us. He is our creator. Look down at verse 13. For you formed my inward Parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I love that word because it's the idea of a craftsman. It's that idea of he made you. You know, think about your personality, uh, what you look like, uh, how you think, how you feel. God created you. And, you know, he made you the way you are. And, and he, it's, it's amazing. That's why in verse 14 he says, I, I give thanks to you. For I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderfully to works on my soul knows it very well. He says it's wonderful and it's awesome what God has done. So first of all, he knows you and he made you. But the third thing is even better, and that is that he loves us. Because think about this. If everybody knew you or knew me, just how we know us, not even talking about how God knows us, how we know us, we wouldn't have a single friend in the world. Right? If everybody knew your thoughts, right? You want to put, let's put our thoughts up there. You want them up there? I don't want my thoughts up there. No, do you? I mean, because you'd go, oh, I'm not going to ever be around that person again. That's exactly right. That's how we think. But guess what God says? I know everything you think. I know everything you say. I know everything you should have said. I know every aspect of your life. I created you. I formed you. I made you. And I love you with an unconditional love. Look at verse 17. He says, how precious also are your thoughts about me. Now think about that. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. How vast are some of them. If I tried to count them, they would outnumber the sand. Now think about that. The good thoughts 
that God thinks about you and how much he loves you is beyond the sand on the seashore. That's what it is, more than the sand on the seashore. He loves us with an unconditional, unchanging love. The thing that I love about the love of God is that we think sometimes when we're really doing good, he really, really loves us. And when we're really doing bad, uh, he loves us, but not as much. Listen, his love never changes. When you are an unbeliever and in rebellion against God, he loved you just as much as he loves you now. Nothing changes. God doesn't love you more. His love is complete and perfect. It never changes. It's unconditional. Now, we want to serve him and live for him, but let me tell you, if you're not serving him and living for him, he still loves you just as much as he loves everybody else. His love never, never changes. So that's, that's the key. Now, that's one way, but there's a second way we should see ourselves from the Bible, and that is we're fallen. Romans 5, 12, us through one man sin to the world and death by sin. Death passed upon all for all, what? All sinned. All of us in this room are sinners, right? We can look at the verse and we can go, wow, God knows me, God made me, God loves me. Wow, I'm really special. And you are, you are. At the same time you say, well, but I'm also a sinner, I've also fallen short of God's glory. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so when we look at ourselves, a biblical view has two aspects to it. One is God loves us. He made us. He create, made us. He created us. He, he, he uh, knows everything about us, and that's amazing. And at the same time, we're fallen. So what did God do? God has a plan. God takes fallen people. Remember the story of the Bible is what? How the what? Perfect God brings what? Sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. The story of the Bible is how God loved us and brings us back to himself. That's why John 3.16 is God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his son, gave his son to die on the cross to pay for sin and rise again to conquer death, that whosoever would what? Believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. And this is love, not that we love God. But he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin, the satisfactory payment, First John 4.10. For by grace you've been saved through what? Faith. And not, not of yourselves. It's the what? It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So God loves us and has a plan for our salvation. Now, with that in mind, since he knows us, he created us, he, he loves us, we're fallen people, he has a plan that is to save us, how should we see ourselves now? We should do this. We're a child of God, and we're secure in Christ. Now, there's, a, there's a million other things I could have put down there. I just wanted to emphasize these two this morning. So how should you view yourself? Because if we go to the world, are we rich enough, famous enough, handsome enough, fast enough, smart enough? Uh, are we inferior? Are we superior? How, how, we, we mess up when we go that route. When we go the biblical route, is he made us, he knows us, he loves us, he knows everything about us. We're fallen, but he has saved us through Jesus Christ. So how should we see ourselves? As a child of God and secure in Christ. That's who we are. Every one of us in this room who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, you are a child of God and you are secure. Let's think about the aspect of being a child of God. The moment you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you become a child of God. John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become what? 
children of God. Galatians 3.26, we're all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about it this morning, by the way. In the passage on Sunday morning in Matthew chapter 12, we'll start with verses 38, go through the end, you know, go through a, a, most of the chapter. When we get there, we're going to see that Jesus says, who, who are my mother and my brother and my sister? Who, who, are, who, are, who, who is my family? Who is my family? And who are the children of God? You know, I talk, I, I see a, saw a person on TV, they were, a, they were a political person, and they were speaking, and they said, every person is a child of God. No, 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 no. Every person is created by God. Only those who have put their faith in Christ are children of God. There's a difference. God created everybody, loves everybody, knows everybody, every aspect of us. But those who have put their faith in Christ become children of God. So every one of us in this room, if you have put your faith in Christ to give you eternal life, the moment you trusted him, you became a child of God. And you need to see yourself as a child of God. When you get to the book of Galatians, there's some, we, we hadn't studied Galatians in a long time, but there's a great part in there because he talks about adoption as sons. So not only does the Bible use this terminology that you're born to the family of God, there's this terminology that you're adopted into the family of God, and your adoption, you're adopted as a full-grown son, which means you have all the privileges of the family. You understand when you were little, when you were little under the culture, you didn't have the rights or privileges because you hadn't got to that age, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah until you got to be the son of the covenant you didn't get to that age yet so even in the Greek household when you were a little boy you might be the owner of everything but but you were bossed around until you got of age till you became a full grown son the Bible says not only were we born into the family of God but we are adopted into the family as full grown children all the privileges and responsibilities. That's who we are. Now, the second thing that I love, and let me look at the time. Second thing is that we're secure in Christ. This has to be my favorite aspect. Because the moment you put your faith in Christ, you become a child of God, you're born again, you're saved, and you're saved for how long? Forever. You are secure in Christ. First John five thirteen. these things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, that you may what? Know that you have eternal life. There are Christians that I talk to in our community that you could say something to them. Have you put your faith in Christ? Yes, yes. So you know you're, you have eternal life, and they say something like this. I hope so. I think I will. Because there are a lot of Christians who don't understand that the moment you trust in Christ, what does he give you? Eternal life. How long does that last? Forever. If, as Charles Rivery says, if eternal life is not eternal, it's got the wrong name. Right? And it's true. So we are secure in Jesus Christ. The moment, and you should know that. You should know that you're secure in Christ. You should never doubt your salvation. If you trust Christ, if you say, I've believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior, I've trusted in him to give me eternal life, his promise is, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. So the moment you trust him, right then you have eternal life and you're saved and saved forever. It all goes back to God's promises. And God's promise and his power. He promises eternal life. His power is nobody can ever snatch you out of his hand. Nobody, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So what is so great is even you can't separate yourself. There are going to be people with Jesus Christ for eternity that don't want to be there until after, after they get there. 
because they trusted Christ when they were 12, and then they went off to school, and they got so smart that they said, I reject everything, and I don't believe in Jesus anymore, and I don't believe any of this stuff. But let me ask you, what do they have? They have eternal life. And one of these days when they die, they're going to be with the Lord. And, and, and if you said to them, by the way, when you die, you're going to be with the Lord, I ain't going. You're going. And let me tell you, when you get there, you'll be glad you're there. Let me just tell you. But for all of us, Lord willing, the greatest thing is he's promised to us eternal life. So what do we see? What do we see? We're created unique by God, Psalm 139. God has a plan of salvation, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. We see ourselves as children of God, and by faith we're secure in Christ. When we trust in him, we are secure. So should any of us in this room, and I don't think any of you do, but should any of us in this room ever doubt that we have eternal life? I mean, if you've trusted in Christ, what did he give you? Eternal life. How long does it last? Forever. Is it by works? Is it something you could do to lose it? It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift. It, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen, if you can't do something to get it, you sure can't do something to lose it. It's the grace of God. Our whole culture says grace all the time, and they never understand it. They never understand the grace of God. Okay, with that in mind, we got one other thing, and we've got time. And let's look at this. This is our response to all of this. So let me go back. We've seen that we're unique and created by God. We've seen this plan of salvation. We've seen that we should see ourselves as children of God and that we're secure in Christ. So now what is our response to this? Well, first of all, you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. You are created in the image of God. He made you. He made your personality. He gave you, when you trust in Christ, he's given you spiritual gifts. He's given you the Bible. He, he, he's made you, and that means you don't have to try to be like somebody else. It's okay to look at somebody and say, be, as Paul would say, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. He's saying try to live godly lives. But that doesn't mean you want to be like Paul and walk like Paul. Listen, when I was, when I was 17, I met Coach Tyler. Y'all know he's my hero. I saw him just about a month ago. He's uh, 87 years old. He's still the greatest. I spent about three hours with him, so it was just wonderful for me. But when Coach Tyler came, I was 17. My dad, I love my daddy. He was gone a lot and uh, on traveling and stuff. And so when Coach Tyler came, he was like my hero. And Coach Tyler, I walked down the hall like Coach Tyler walked down the hall. You know, this is, the, when we say that you're unique, you don't have to walk like somebody else. You don't have to try to, be, you want to be a godly person like somebody else. But God made you who you are, special and unique. And so with that in mind, I want you to think about this. You have four things. You have a new destiny, you're a new person, you have a new family, and you have new responsibilities. Let's talk about it. Your new destiny is you have what kind of life? Eternal life. And where are you going to be? Be in eternity with Jesus Christ. Now, you're going to go up to heaven, you're going to come down to this earth for a thousand years, and then you're going to be in the eternal state for a thousand years. And you are secure in all that. That's your destiny. You're a new person. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. That's who you are. You're not the way you used to be. As Bill Lawrence, my professor at Dallas Seminary, used to say, is you can't live the way you used to live because you're not who you used to be. Now, we can still live badly because we still have the flesh, but we're not supposed to. We're supposed to live godly people because we're a new creation in Christ. We're a new person, and we're, we have a new family. This is our family. Now, we still got family family, but this is our family. You realize that every one of y'all in this room, we're family? Sometimes we don't think that way, but we've got to realize that we are all in this together. We love one another. We're going to see what Jesus says. 
Just if you want to look ahead, look ahead at that passage in, in uh, Matthew 12, starting about verse 38 to the end. And he says, who is, who is my mother and my brother and my sister? We'll see what he says. We're in a new family. And then we have a new responsibility. You know what our responsibility is? We're ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech us. We get to tell people about Jesus. So let me finish it up this way. Realize who we are from God's word. We are created by God, special and unique. We're fallen, and we need a Savior, but we are unique and special. Second is, realize that under, understand God's plan of salvation. You realize that most people in this town don't understand it. They talk about Jesus. And, 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 and they'll say, oh yeah, Jesus, you've got to come to Jesus. What in the world does that mean? Come to Jesus? Let's tell people to believe in him for eternal life. That's what he offers. He didn't just say, come to me. Now, the passage where he's coming to me, all but he goes on to explain some things there. So the whole idea of what, what, what must a person do to have eternal life? We've got to be very clear because we get to tell people God's plan of salvation. The third thing, see ourselves as children of God and secure in Christ. When a, person, when a person gets to the point where they understand their security, there are people who trust in Christ and they get all messed up and, and then they're not sure they're saved and they think they have to keep doing this or doing that. Listen, when you come to the point where you understand that you're saved and saved forever, the whole world changes. I've talked to people who did not have assurance of salvation. They put their faith in Christ. Then they got confused and I've met with them and we've talked and when they, when they see it, when they understand they're saved and saved forever, it's like their whole life, they go, so, so I don't serve out of fear now. I don't come to church, do things in order to hang on to salvation. I get to come and serve because of what he's done for me. It's a big difference. And last but not least, this member, uh, our response we have a new destiny, eternal life of Jesus Christ. We're a new person. We're created in Christ Jesus. We uh, have a new family, the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have a new responsibility, and that is to proclaim Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech through us. So many great things.